Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Hey, I'm so excited to share part two of... uh this great message, Scarlet Letters, with you today. I'm very excited about it. Last week, we had uh, a really good time and talked about a number of things about the power and the importance in the red letters that are in the Bible, the words of Jesus Christ, and they overcome the labels of the enemy, how he wants to mark you according uh, to different things that are temporary or maybe different things in your past. But Jesus Christ's words overcome and overcompensate for all of the labels that this world and that the enemy wants to put on you. Today, for Mother's Day, we're gonna jump into a, another scripture, another passage, and talk about some of the red letters, the scarlet letters that Jesus declares inside of this passage. And I wanna take just a second to thank all and honor all of the moms as well. We all know that our society, first and foremost, none of us would be here without a mom, right? So we're really glad that we all have a mom. And as Jennifer mentioned, this is a day that's a day of celebration for some. It's a day of mourning for others. But I wanna encourage you to think of the good and to remember the good and to focus on that. What you focus on is what you feel. And it's important that you focus on good things today. Now, my mother, Jean Scrivener, um, needs prayer because she had me as her son. And I was a rowdy, rowdy young kid. Um, I put my mom, many, many gray hairs. I put my mom through all kinds of shenanigans. I'm still making up for some of the craziness that my mom had to go through. Uh, my mom, just for example, I remember, and it was really started about my teen years. I was a good kid. I was a good kid, all right? But when I hit my teen years, I kind of went nuts because of some stuff I was dealing with inside of my own heart, some, some hurt and things that had happened to me that my parents didn't know anything about. And I was just a little bit of a, a handful, if you could say it that way. My mom, one time, we were driving to church and I was talking about having a girlfriend. And she said, you're, you, you're too young to date, Joel. You're only 14. I said, mom, I've been dating for years, right? I mean, how many 14-year-olds are dating for years? But that was the kind of kid uh, that I was. I, I, I kind of had the mindset that rules were more like suggestions and uh, they were meant to be adjusted. They were more like malleable guidelines, right? And so that translated into my driving techniques. I really just need to be an off-road driver, right? Because speed limits or speed suggest... I'm just kidding. Uh, I really am trying better and I use cruise control now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a better example in that way. But it's just part of my personality. I've always kind of pushed limits a little bit. And so therefore, I pushed the limits of my mother's patience so many times. You, you may have had a mom that just was the most incredible super mom or maybe Maybe you had the working mom or the stay-at-home mom. We all had different types of experiences. But what I want to focus on today for just a second is the type of mom that Jesus had. And really, if I could just stretch your imagination, how hard would it be to be the mother of Jesus, right? Now, you might instantly think, well, it would be easy because Jesus was perfect and he was without sin. And I, look, I'm gonna take it one step forward. Then <laughs> Some of you might, might be thinking when I say, how would it be to be the mother of Jesus? You might be thinking, shoot, I feel like I'm the mother of the devil. Don't look at your kids right now. Don't poke at them right now. I'm just joking around with that one. But it's important that we recognize that Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, how much pressure would that be, right? If your kid is God in the flesh and he knows it, right? 
and, and you know, so you're never going to be smarter than your kid. You're never going to have more experience. You, it, for, for, for Mary to say something like, uh, you know, what young man, and he's like, young man, I created time, right? I mean, she had this kind of a, a thought a process in my, in my brain as I'm thinking through what some of the conversations might have been like when you have a, a child, a kid Jesus, so to speak, that has full awareness of who he is. And we don't see a whole lot of Jesus in scripture. And, and obviously I'm coloring in the lines here and having fun with this idea of kid Jesus because we only see a couple times we see Jesus in the scripture at his birth. We see Jesus at about two years old uh, in scripture. We see him when they came back from Egypt, maybe he was four or five. Uh, and then we see Jesus at 12. And Jesus at 12 was a little bit of a handful, all right? And there's a story in scripture where Jesus literally disappears for three days and his parents are looking for him. And it had been a day and a half before they realized that he was missing, right? Can you imagine that in today's uh, world? It's been a day and a half. Have you seen the kids? I think it's been about 36 hours since I've seen them. Uh, and just all of a sudden it comes to the, your attention that you're missing your 12-year-old. But it was a different world and 12 in that time was a transition into manhood. So when they finally found Jesus, they find him at the temple and he's in the temple and he's literally confounding the minds of the scholars and the wisest people in that uh, in the religious sectors. And when they found him, his mom, I mean, you can imagine, have you ever lost your kid in the mall or lost your kid in a store and you're freaking out trying to find him? And you, when you finally find him, you can't, you're so happy to see him, but you want to shake him, right? And you're like, why would you do that to me? Don't ever leave me again. Jesus's mom and his dad are literally in that type of a mode. They're like, why would you do this to us? And Jesus responds with a question. He says, why would you seek me? Why would you even wonder where I would be? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? And that's a really wild statement, but you can see the dynamic there of what it would be like to be the parent of Jesus. And Jesus as a 12-year-old fully knows that he's the son of the living God. He's come to be the Messiah. He, he's, he has full knowledge of scripture. He literally is the golden child of that era. In that day, he would have been brought in to be a part of uh, the training to become a future rabbi because he was so gifted and so talented. In fact, there's different phrases that we use. That phrase, my father's business, was actually a phrase that the rabbi would use when they would reject a child because the child wasn't good enough to go into the upper level levels of learning, and they would say, just go and be about your father's business, uh, whatever trade that would be, right? So in Jesus's a time that would have been for him a carpenter or Peter or James or John would have been fishermen. They didn't make the cut. But Jesus was so astounding to those religious people that he was declaring, I'm going to be about my father's business. And he wasn't talking about Joseph the carpenter. In fact, there's nowhere in scripture where Jesus is described as a carpenter. He's only described as rabbi and teacher. He's called a son of a carpenter, but he was never called a physical working laboring carpenter. So it's important that you recognize that Jesus was on a fast track to leadership and to be a rabbi, and it started at a very young age. And the dynamic of trying to be Jesus's parent had to have been incredibly challenging. Yet in that passage, it says in Luke chapter two, that Jesus submitted to his parents, went home with them, and 
And we don't see Jesus again for 18 years. It's, it's not until he's 30 that he appears again. And so he submitted to his parents and it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So even though he was a 12-year-old God child in the flesh, he still honored his parents and submitted to them. And we see a beautiful picture of that. The story that I wanna read to you today and really where I wanna jump off is the story of the wedding at Canaan. And this is a moment where Jesus's mother had a powerful and prominent place in his launch of his ministry. So let's look at this verse. This is in John chapter two, uh, verse one. It says, and on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So Jesus has, just to recap, Jesus had, has already been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit has already descended upon him like a dove and remained. He's been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes off, is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted by the enemy. And we'll get into that at another session when we talk about this, another level of the Scarlet Letters. But but he's tempted by the enemy and overcomes the enemy um, with the word of God and then comes back. And as he's walking back, then John says, there is the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he begins to collect disciples. So at this moment with this wedding, Jesus doesn't have all of his disciples yet. He, in the passages just before he had picked uh, uh, Andrew and Philip and, and Peter um, and uh, one other that I can't remember right now. And it really doesn't matter in part of this message, but he only had four or five disciples that he had picked thus far. And what's wild is that he shows up at this wedding with his few disciples and he's just getting started, right? He hasn't done any great works yet, no healings, nothing like that. He's just gathering disciples because of the word of John the Baptist and the validation there. And so what we see here is he comes up and when he gets to the wedding, it says, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman. <laughs> now, that's, that again is, a, is an interesting picture in the dynamic of the relationship. Uh, now, in their culture, uh, it was the word that they would use was not a word of disrespect, but I would encourage you children at home, don't try that. If I ever called my mom woman, I don't think I'd have made it out of the house again. Uh, so, but this is the interesting dynamic. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus, even though he has gone through these different moments, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's beginning to collect disciples. Uh, he has uh, gone through an encounter with the enemy and won. Now he's at a wedding and his mother is asking him to do something about something that may seem trivial to him, but God the Father had selected this moment to be the coming out miracle for Jesus to do, and it was specific and it was strategic, and it spoke uh, a very powerful message that I'll explain in just a second. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come, and I love this. His mother says to the servants, she doesn't even address Jesus. She doesn't even give him, she doesn't even say or answer his question. She just literally turns to the servants, and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Man, that's a great statement right there. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Those seven words can change your life today. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set 
There are six water pots of stone, it says, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Now think about that. This is about 100, we're going to call it just an average, 150 gallons is what is about to happen here. And Jesus says, fill the water pots with water. 120 to 180 gallons of water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out now and take to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, so they don't notice the quality of the wine anymore, then he brings the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. Now, this is a very symbolic and beautiful expression because we see here a picture of a husband and a wife, God's uh, respect and honor and approval upon that and literally calling for an incredible celebration. I want you to understand uh, if you don't know anything about wine, once wine is opened, it has to be drunk or it goes bad. And these are 30 gallon pots of water used for purification. And Jesus turns them into six 30 gallon vats of fresh wine. It's so good that this master of ceremonies is blown away. He's like, oh my gosh, you saved the good stuff for last? Jesus turned 180 gallons of premium wine loose and this party became the biggest party the city had ever seen. It was a moment of celebration. It was a moment where God is saying, I stand for marriage. I stand for a husband and a wife. It's the picture. Later on in scripture, we would see uh, when Paul is teaching that the picture of a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and his church. And so this first miracle was a validation of the work that Jesus Christ would do, that it was a work of celebration. It was a work that is a massive party in the future that we're going to have with God. And it's the picture of Jesus, the the groom and his church, the bride. And that's the very first miracle of Jesus. And it would not have happened if it wasn't for his mother, Mary. Now there's a statement you've probably heard at times. It's the statement, mother knows best. And almost every culture in the world has a version of that statement. And in this specific moment, we see that to be true that Jesus did not recognize the time that God had selected and he needed his mother to be sensitive to what the heavenly father truly wanted and had ordained because Jesus was looking at this as a moment that wasn't serious enough for his miracles to be done. This is just wine. It's just a wedding. But Mary recognized that she needed something to happen and God wanted it done. And as the mother, she knew best and she inspired Jesus. He had to honor her again. She put him on the spot. She's like, uh-huh, yeah, it's not your time. We'll see about that. Hey, just do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
That's what she declared. And it's such a powerful statement. And it's really true. And the reason that it's so important and why mothers have such a, such a very special and powerful role in our society is because the mother is very connected to, in God's creation, to a part of, uh, of the, the, the entity of God or, or the, the person of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And women, the part of the feminine nature of women is that women tend to be, because they contain more feminine than masculine. Now, just so you know, every whether male or female, we all have a portion of both feminine and masculine traits, right? And we have them in different degrees. Women tend to have more feminine than they do masculine, but that's not always true. And men tend to have more masculine than feminine, uh, but different people are different. And there are sometimes men that have uh, very strong uh, feminine qualities, but it has literally nothing to do with their sexuality, it has everything to do with the makeup of how God designed them and the creativity and who they were called to be. So it's important that we recognize that in this place, we're seeing a beautiful picture of the feminine and the connectivity to the Holy Spirit, the sensitivity, the nurturing, uh, the, the guiding and the comforting and the counseling. That's a picture of who God is when he is expressed in the, the identity of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see here uh, is we see almost, and we've heard it called woman's intuition. And there really is something there that women tend to because they have such a high degree of the feminine, they tend to have just a sensitivity and almost a knowing. And, and it's even more so, and it's even more so if you have a Holy Spirit-filled mama like I did, my mama, oh my goodness, let me tell you something. I couldn't get away with hardly anything because my mama would pray these like FBI, CIA, Holy Ghost prayers, right? She would say, Joel, I'm a teenager and I told you I was rowdy. She's like, I don't know what you're doing but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit catches you. This is before, you know, Alexa and, and Siri, where they're all, you know, in Google and everything's listening into you. My mom had angels sent out after me, right? They're listening in. They're bringing back messages. My parents would catch me at everything. And I was always the kid that got caught. And my mom would literally say, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm praying you get caught. And I'm like, oh, mama, please stop praying that prayer. People are gonna stop hanging out with me. I keep getting caught so often. Uh, but it's important that you understand that God's motherly qualities are in the Holy Spirit. And when you tap in to the Holy Spirit, you can connect into a sensitivity that's very powerful. It's very real. It's very natural. And it's important that you recognize that when you begin to tap into and begin to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you will begin to have knowings. And, and it's something that I call a, the nudge, right? God will just kind of nudge you and be like, hey, look, pay attention, right? There's something going on here. And there's a knowing that you'll have in a sensitivity that you'll have when you connect into the motherly quality of God in the Holy Spirit. I get questions a lot of times because uh, I'm constantly developing content and writing messages and I have to be speaking on a regular basis and that's exciting to me. I love doing that. But people say, where do you get your messages? Where do you come up with the things to say and how do you know what to say? And my answer is simply this. I spend a significant amount of time in the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is I separate myself from the outside influences and I get into a place of prayer and meditation and, and seeking the face of God and hearing the voice of God. And it's in that place where I'm connecting to the Holy Spirit and that mothering nature, that sensitive nature of God that I can connect into and hear God and know what he wants to say to his kids. And that's 
part of my disciplines. But the beautiful thing is that any of us can do that. Any of us can learn how to prioritize time in the presence of the Holy Spirit and learn how to hear and connect and to know things and have access to wisdom that we shouldn't have access to. In fact, that's one of the things that's declared in the Bible, when Jesus said in John chapter 16, he says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. This is a powerful statement that we have access to in the Holy Spirit. And I want to take just a second and I'm going to share a little piece of my journal with you, the, my, my secret sauce. A lot of times uh, I'll, I'll describe it as I have a documented prayer life with, with Jesus that I have done now for over 20 years of my life. And I literally write my prayers and I ask God to speak to me and, and I wait for him to communicate with me. And then I write down what he says. And this is how I live my life. And this is how I, I know how to make the right decisions because I have learned to hear his voice and I make my decisions based on what he's saying to me. I try my best not to make emotional decisions or, or decisions on the fly. I want to make sure, especially if they're very important decisions, that I'm hearing his voice and I'm doing what he is asking me to do. And in the middle of this uh, global crisis that we've been in, we as a church have been in the middle of a land campaign and we've been raising funds and we have a piece of property under uh, contract right now. And we're making big decisions about that type of thing. And I've been praying, Father, what are you up to? God, what do you want me to do? I can't make a bad decision. I've got to hear from you in the middle of this. And, and on uh, March chapter nine, or March 19th was the date. And there's not a chapter. I'm, I'm over here making Bible quotations. I'm making up new birth new Bible verses over here. But March 19th, I was praying and the Lord spoke to me. I'm asking him specifically about the, the future of our church and the vision of our church and what we're supposed to do. And, and we're in the middle of the beginning weeks of this quarantine and, and coming into the, the shelter at home phase and all of that type of things. And this is what he said to me. He says, I have some surprises up my sleeve for you. Just rest and know that you are in my favor and Oaks is my baby. That's what he said. And a couple of days later, after praying that prayer and God speaking that to me, uh, we got a call, and I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago, we get a call from the McKinney School uh, District, and we find out that all of a sudden, um, we don't get to use the school anymore. So it's like, surprise, you're homeless. That was how I felt uh, in that moment. Our church now, whenever it gets opened up again, it was actually about three weeks after I prayed this prayer and the Lord spoke to me about this, uh, that, that I had this moment of, of all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? It feels like it's going from bad to worse. And now when we do open up, we have nowhere to be and nowhere to go. But I had this word in my journal that God had said to me, hey, I got some surprises up my sleeve for you. Don't worry. This church, this Oaks is my baby and I've got plans for you. And so in that moment, even though it was stressful, I wasn't afraid because I had heard what God was saying to me and it gave me comfort. So I began to make some phone calls and began to reach out. And I have some really exciting news for you today that we are in the final stages of, of negotiations and we do have a place to meet coming up. Uh, and our first time as we begin to come back together uh, will be on Pentecost Sunday, the 31st, Mar May 31st, Pentecost Sunday will be our very first day. And we have secured a temporary place that we can meet 
Um, it's going to be uh, currently at the Sheridan Hotel in McKinney. And we've got the ballroom, we've got classrooms, we've got the whole thing. And we're going to come back and have just one service in the very beginning. We're going to keep this online thing at the same quality, the same level that we've been doing it, uh, because we know that there are a number of people that are maybe not going to feel ready or, or feel uh, uh, safe to step out and do that yet. But others of you can't wait. So we're going to keep great quality online services. And for those of you that are uh, that feel safe and want to come and be a part of it. If you're not in a, a high-risk uh, group or if you're not in a place uh, where you have some different physical uh, disabilities or sicknesses that would put you in a place of danger, uh, we would love for you to come and be with us. And those of you that need to be safe, we're going to keep producing the great services just like this for you online. So we're going to have both, but you can go ahead and mark your calendar for May the 31st. We'll have our very first uh, Sunday service back together, just one service. We'll do that for a few months and see what the Lord is doing and, and how we're going. But but we have some other things the Lord continues to open up then reveal these surprises. And there are some really big potential things for us. So I want you to just keep praying. I'm not quite ready. Uh, we don't have, I wanna make sure that we have things in place before I make some other bigger announcements. But there are some beautiful things God is doing because he loves this church. This is his baby and he's speaking about it. And this is the question, this is the secret, guys. Whatever he says to do, that's what you do. It sounds so simple, but that's the secret. If we can learn how to come into a place with him and learn how to hear his voice and learn how to connect into the Holy Spirit, that we can move into a place where we have crazy, crazy, crazy confidence because we know that God has spoken to us and we just do what he says to do. Did you know that that was Jesus' secret? Jesus literally said in scripture, I only do what my father says for me to do, and I only say what my father is saying. That was Jesus' secret. He only does what God says. And if we as God's people can learn to hear his voice, and I'm telling you, it's way easier than you think. God wants to communicate with you. And if you could open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, learn how to turn your phone off and turn all your technology off and the TV off and all these outside voices and get into the presence of God, put some worship music on, get your Bible out and ask God to communicate with you. Ask God to speak with you. This is a journey that I've been on for uh, literally, 20 something, 30, since I was 17, I began my journey with really seeking to know and hear the voice of God. So 30 years almost I've been on this journey, but you can develop an incredible relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe, where he will actually communicate with you personally personally and talk to you about your personal life and help you to make the wise decisions. And we actually, in our midweek service that we do, we've got a great series that we've been doing the last few weeks on specifically this topic. If you've missed that, you can find those in the archive or on the Facebook page um, or on our website. And I want to encourage you to do so because learning how to hear the voice of God and do it is your secret sauce. It's, the, it's no different for me than it is for you, and we've all got to learn how to do this. God wants to launch you into this next season of your life, and I know that this is a time where there's so much uncertainty, and we don't know what to believe, right? We've been watching the news, and they, they tell us, wash your hands 20 times a day or every 20 seconds or all this kind of stuff, and wear a mask and wear gloves, and then they come back and say, well, they don't ever have any, actually have proof that the masks work or the gloves work, and we don't know what to believe, right? Right? This conspiracy theory and that conspiracy theory and doctors now saying that the cases aren't as many as they say and it's all blown out of proportion and there's all kinds of stuff we don't know what to believe. 
but we have access to the Holy Spirit and we have access to all truth. Jesus said he will lead you and guide you into all truth. You don't have to stay in the dark. You can move beyond the place of confusion and fear and not knowing, am I being lied to? Am I being sold a bill of goods? Is there some kind of crazy something going on that I don't even know or understand about? Yeah, there probably is, but guess what? You've got access to the voice of the living God and you don't have to live in fear and you don't have to be in the dark. You can have access to what God has access access to. Jesus said, when this Holy Spirit comes, he's going to fill you with power to be my witness and everything the father has, he's given to me and the Holy Spirit will make it known unto you. You have access to what God knows and you've got to tap into it. You've got to tap into it and it's not hard. It just takes discipline. I want to challenge you today and I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a second, but I want to challenge you today to set aside time in your life to hear the voice of God. If you don't do it at all right now, maybe just start with 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I'm gonna shut everything down. I'm gonna have a notebook. I'm gonna have my Bible. I'm gonna put some worship music on. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna soak in God's presence and ask him to speak to me and read his word and ask him to talk to me through it and write down what I feel like he's saying to me. Guys, I'm telling you, if you could learn this discipline, it will change your life forever. It's the most important discipline in my life. I got a lot of bad habits, guys. Can I be that real with you? I'm not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, there I can, I can refer you to many other great churches in the city that have maybe what looks like to me perfect pastors. I'm a regular dude. I got regular dude issues and I need Jesus real bad, but I got a really good habit. I got one really good habit and that's every single day of my life, I get into the presence of God and I ask him to talk to me and I do what he says. Guys, we gotta move beyond rules and we gotta move into relationship. What is Jesus saying for you to do? Do that. That's the secret. It was the secret for Jesus. It's the secret for you. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.